I am going to tell you a story that a powerful state doesn't want you to know about tens of thousands who have disappeared. Once they get into the hands of the military, they will be tortured brutally. It's a story so dangerous to tell that for some, it's meant ending up on a kill list. She was seen as a dangerous political actor and a threat to Pakistan's security, but she was a local hero. The Kill List, a six-part investigative podcast, available now. Get early access to episodes at cbc.ca slash listen, or by subscribing to the CBC True Crime Premium channel on Apple Podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, it's Tamara. So I'm excited about this week's episode. Over the last few months, chat GPTs become a huge part of my day-to-day life. And that's been the case for a lot of people. It's all happened very quickly. Back in November, American artificial intelligence company OpenAI launched ChatGPT. And just two months later, it recorded over 100 million users. The way it works is by pulling from the massive trove of data it's been trained on to have human-like conversations. Basically, you ask it a question and it gives you a response. I've used it to make myself a workout plan or do jumping jacks for two minutes to elevate your heart. Write an invite for a baby shower I was helping plan. Join us for an afternoon filled with love, laughter and anticipation. You can use it to write emails and essays, explain complicated ideas that an object like the cat can exist in multiple states at once. All kinds of things. ChatGPT is a form of generative AI, which means it can create new content. And since it launched, other big tech companies and countless startups have been racing to get their own AI products to market. In today's Tech Bytes, Google's early access to Bard. That's the company's conversational AI chatbot. Google is inviting some of its Pixel superfans to try it out and possibly offer feedback as a way of training Bard in real-life use. This is an AI-cloned version of Walter White's voice. This is an AI-cloned version of Leonardo DiCaprio's voice. All you need is a couple of minutes recording of anyone's voice, and you can make it seem like they have said just about anything. Even And their uses can be really innocuous, but they also come with major risks. Data protection issues, misinformation, and many jobs being replaced by AI. That's why pioneers in the field are warning that it could all go off the rails and that governments need to intervene. There are some places that are already taking steps to do that. The European Union, for example, and China, where we're also seeing a mad rush to compete with the generative AI tools coming out of the U.S. This week on the show, why people are sounding the alarm about the global race to develop AI, China's role in it, and what can be learned from the efforts we've seen so far at regulating artificial intelligence. I'm Tamara Kandaker, and this is Nothing is Foreign. Rishi Iyengar is the global tech reporter for foreign policy, and Zoe Yang writes about China and tech in the MIT Technology Review. Hi, thank you so much to you both for being here. Hi, happy to be here. Likewise, thanks for having us. So things have been moving really quickly in the world of AI, and I just wanted to start with some of the worry around the pace of the development, even among tech leaders. So 
In March, we saw over a thousand tech leaders and researchers sign this open letter calling for a six-month pause on the development of new AI systems. Billionaire Elon Musk, along with co-founders of Apple, Skype, and Pinterest, and others, writing bluntly in an open letter, AI systems with human competitive intelligence can pose profound risks to society and humanity. So, Rishi, what are the people who are calling for regulation and for these companies to slow down most worried about when it comes to this technology? What would be the worst case scenario here, according to them? The fear that a lot of people within the industry, uh, even some people like Jeffrey Hinton, who is known as the godfather of AI and recently quit Google. So people who have been very involved in the development of these technologies are now kind of sounding the alarm that we need to put some guardrails. We need to put some guardrails around this technology before it overshoots, overshadows uh, human intelligence. I think we're a, a ways away from that kind of worst case scenario. Some of that is kind of a bit hyperbolic, but at the same time, there are very real concerns with things like disinformation, misinformation. Uh, when it comes to videos, there's deep fake videos, for instance, where you can show world leaders saying something that they didn't actually say. A false video of President Zelensky was diffused yesterday where he's apparently making an announcement, giving up to Russian forces. This video was diffused on a hacked uh, Ukrainian news website called Ukraine24. I think what Jeffrey Hinton said was there aren't that many ways to prevent bad actors from using this technology for bad things. That open letter paints a pretty scary picture. But interestingly, one person who didn't sign it is Jeffrey Hinton. I just want people to be aware that this is a really serious problem and we need to be thinking about it very hard. I don't think we can stop the progress. I didn't sign the petition saying we should stop working on AI because if people in America stop, people in China wouldn't. It's very hard to verify whether people are doing it. And so, um, Zoe, I, wanna, I wonder if I can bring you in here. Uh, China has been trying to dominate the AI landscape for a long time. There has been an entire kind of parallel universe of AI development in China. So what's been happening over there? Since the ChatGPT was released and became like a global sensation, a lot of Chinese AI firms really feel that they're compelled to have some similar products. Because for a long time, they have been saying we have our own comparable AI capacity when it compares to Western companies. So right now, when people see how successful ChatGPT is, the Chinese public, they are asking these Chinese companies to release their own products. So what we saw is that in March, Baidu, which one of like the biggest Chinese tech companies, um, released their first ChatGPT alternative. They call it the Ernie Bot. Ernie is now beyond a large long gauge model, but has evolved into a family of models. That and offered their other companies like Alibaba, SenseTime, 360s, they all either announced or demoed their own products. What we're seeing is that these products really look very similar to ChatGPT. Like they can answer questions. They have like a encyclopedia. They can write code. Sometimes they can generate video, audio. Um, it's basically the same as ChatGPT, but in Chinese or has a better understanding of Chinese. So Ernie from Baidu and all these other chatbots that are being introduced, they're operating under Chinese law, where the context is different, right? There's information control, the internet is censored. So how does that limit what they can do and also how people can use them? 
So even when these companies are developing an AI model and when they are trying to release it to the public, they have to think about what political risk this is going to, going to cost them. So what we have seen so far is that the Chinese companies have been really cautious when it comes to um, letting the public actually try out their products. Um, that controls who can access it and that controls who may abuse their uh, AI tools to generate things that, that may kind of anger the government. Uh, from a reporter's perspective, it's disappointing because I can't really try it out myself. I also think that limits like the public reception of the tools because like if the public cannot really try it, they cannot feel like how powerful it is and they're not going to discuss it as much as the, how they discuss ChatGPT. Interesting. Um, and so what are people saying about things like Ernie then? Are people, you know, excited about it or are they sort of freaking out? Yeah, like the release of Ernie Bot in March, it was really kind of like the biggest tech event this year in China. Today, I would like to show you the pre-trained conversational AI bot, Ernie Bot. That's because people really had a lot of high hopes for it. But what we saw is that during the launch day, people were really, really disappointed because they basically see no improvement of Ernie Bot over ChatGPT, and Baidu stock prices tumbled a lot that day. But a week later, people actually warm up to it. It's like, yes, like Ernie Bot is probably marginally worse than ChatGPT, but it's not by a lot. Um, it's just that sometimes it gives more wrong answers. Sometimes it understands your questions less. Uh, what it tells the Chinese public is that the Chinese AI companies, at least when it comes to generative AI or large language models, still is behind American companies by a lot. Are there other aspects of AI where China's ahead of the U.S.? The one example I can think of right now is computer vision and the most common but also most controversial use case of computer vision is probably facial recognition. The background is that in China, I do think there is like a slightly higher public acceptance of the facial recognition technology. But more importantly, the government really sees the benefit of developing facial recognition uh, technology and use it for their own benefits, like um, for surveillance, for public control. And so what's happening right now is that it's easier for a Chinese tech company to research facial recognition, to obtain the training data of faces, and to experiment on it and to put it in use in Chinese cities. Chinese companies can lead in at least this one aspect of AI, but when you talk about like the most, I guess, broad or fundamental aspects of AI, I don't think Chinese companies can really catch up with American companies yet. Hi, I'm Salima Shivji, and I'm a reporter here in Mumbai. We're gearing up for the biggest election in history right now, with Prime Minister Narendra Modi looking very likely to win his third term. And whether you love him, hate him, or know nothing about him, there's no denying Modi is one of the most powerful political figures out there right now. Learn why in the newest season of Understood. Modi's India Understood, available now wherever you get your podcasts. When Jeffrey Hinton says if the U.S. stops developing AI, China could get a lead on it, he seems to be implying that it would be a problem for China to take the lead on this. So why is that? Um, 
Rishi, what are the worries about how China might use AI from the perspective of the U.S.? I think from the perspective of the U.S., the important thing to contextualize it uh, with is this broader geopolitical moment that we're in of kind of U.S. competition uh, with China. And a lot of that has centered around the tech industry. I think the the real worry is uh, how could this be used to to further China's military ambitions? How could this be used to further uh, censorship that we spoke about kind of even beyond China's borders? And it's also about kind of who win, quote unquote, wins this technology will determine a lot about the the world order going forward. That's kind of the sense that policymakers across the board have. And it's fundamentally being seen as kind of a democratic versus authoritarian kind of battle uh, seen through the lens of AI. That's where a lot of the concern uh, is coming from about China's development and this sense of we need to be ahead and be at the forefront of this technology. So when it comes to worries around China's military ambitions and the way that AI can be used in warfare, some of the use cases that I've read about are, you know, large-scale propaganda machines, new kinds of cyber attacks, uh, autonomous weapons. Can you tell me a bit more about that? I think fundamentally, the thread running through all of this is that AI has the capacity to just supercharge everything that technology can already do. So you think about uh, weapons, we're seeing we're seeing drones being used uh, uh, very effectively in warfare, autonomous weapons, plugging AI into all those technologies that already exist just supercharges them to the point where it can actually be dangerous. So that's definitely what's driving a lot of the concern. Mm-hmm. So so we are seeing a lot of calls for regulation. So let's talk about what kind of progress has actually been made on that. It's been pretty slow so far, it seems like. But China has been a leader in this and has moved really quickly. Just last month, the Chinese government released draft AI regulations. And Zoe, how are they approaching regulation? Yeah, regulation is a really interesting space to watch when it comes to AI in China. Because the Chinese government acts really swiftly um, in releasing their regulations. Um, ChatGPT was released in late November, and it really became like a household talk point in China this year. And then just by April, the Chinese government already has a draft policy on generative AI tools, which really is targeting um, ChatGPT and similar tools. The problem of it is that a lot of times they are giving this like on the spot reactions to a new tech creations. It doesn't really reflect the whole AI picture or it doesn't really address it on like a, a high level. What kind of regulations are those? Like what kind of restrictions are they proposing on things like uh, chatbots? They're talking about when this AI, uh, generative AI companies need to uh, train the data, they need to get people's consent. There are also things like they're saying the AI tools should not be discriminative based on things like gender or race and nationality. But all of this make a lot of sense. All of these are things I think other countries' governments should ask for. Um, on one hand, 
um, the regulation is a little bit vague when it comes to how to enforce that. Because right now, people still don't know how to really do good content moderation in AI. So how do you make sure that AI does not discriminate? How do you make sure that AI does not generate things that are harmful? On the other hand, you are seeing a lot of like very Chinese-specific uh, language in there, which is like any generative AI tool needs to stick with Chinese law, Chinese morals, which is again very vague, but traditionally that can be used to enforce something that's more like um, control the freedom of speech, to prevent uh, information that's harmful to the Chinese government from being spread. So we are also seeing like a really like a tradition of um, censorship being applied to AI tools again. Um, but well, the, the new challenge is that controlling AI or censoring AI is going to be very different from censoring, let's say, a search engine or a social media platform. So right now, what we are kind of expecting is how Chinese government is going to address that. That remains an open question. So in terms of what's happening uh, in other places, we haven't seen a whole lot. We haven't seen really much from the U.S. There was this Senate Judiciary Committee hearing recently where OpenAI CEO Sam Altman advocated for regulation. Um, he was calling for a U.S. or global agency that would license systems. I think if this technology goes wrong, it can go quite wrong. Uh, and we want to be vocal about that. We want to work with the government to prevent that from happening. But we, we try to be very clear-eyed about what the downside case is and the work that we have to do to mitigate that. In Canada last year, the government put forward a bill to regulate artificial intelligence. This was pre-ChatGPT, and it establishes this framework for how to develop and launch these products, but it's been criticized for being pretty vague and leaving out a lot of details about what will be regulated and those things are supposed to be sorted out later. So Rishi, I wonder how do those approaches and China's approach compare to that of the European Union? In the EU, they're working on passing the Artificial Intelligence Act and, and my understanding is that it's, it's pretty heavy handed. Yeah, absolutely. What the EU has done is adopted a more what's called a risk-based approach, which means, uh, again, they are identifying certain high-risk uses of the technology more broadly. So uh, things like medical data, uh, things like uh, facial recognition, which we spoke about briefly earlier, uh, uses for law enforcement agencies, how they will be using this technology so use cases that have the capacity to really infringe on human rights and on the rights of their citizens, that is primarily what the EU is concerned about. And then coming to the, the US and Canada, it's been, uh, they, they are sort of a little bit behind and, and many, many other countries as well. Uh, but in the US, there was an AI Bill of Rights that was put forward uh, by the Biden administration last year. There's an AI risk management framework. Uh, and then, of course, the Senate uh, kind of process that you mentioned. All of these are more, as of now, voluntary, and they haven't put any requirements per se on these companies. They're more guidelines 
guidelines that companies should think about. And I think that's reflective of the broader approach to tech regulation that the US has traditionally had in contrast with the EU, where it's probably the lightest touch uh, regulation because the US is very focused on giving these companies the freedom to innovate. But I think given some of the concerns around AI uh, that that we've uh, highlighted throughout this conversation, there is the sense that a little more needs to be done. One of the biggest fears around AI is the way that it might affect the job market. Artificial intelligence could replace millions of jobs. That's right. And the AI chat bot, chat GPT, is able to recognize that. According to Challenger, Gray and Christmas, the tool says AI will replace 4.8 million American jobs. Well, if all I know that's sort of been on my mind. I've been playing around with chat GPT a lot, so I can definitely see how it would impact my job. Is there anything in China or the EU's regulatory models that addresses uh, that fear, uh, Rishi? It's still early days and it's still kind of an open question. As in his Senate hearing, Sam Altman, the OpenAI CEO, uh, he said something to the effect of AI may change or replace certain jobs, but it'll also create a lot of new ones. Predict If we went back to the, the other side of a previous technological revolution, talking about the jobs that exist on the other side, um, you know, you can go back and read books of this. It's uh, what people said at the time. It's difficult. I believe that there will be far greater jobs on the other side of this. And that the jobs... Of today- it kind of reminds me that the significance of this shift reminds me of the conversations that happened around when the internet first became a thing, right? There was all this concern about how the internet itself is going to disrupt economies and change jobs and the nature of work. And, and it has, but also humanity has ways of adapting. So I think in terms of how AI will change that, it's still an open question. And it's something that that regulators and companies and even just your average citizens are still trying to figure out. But I would say we're still a ways away from that. What does the tech industry say should happen in terms of regulation? And what has the tech industry said about the frameworks that we've seen so far from from China and and from the EU? Just in a broad sense, the the tech industry, it mirrors some of what happened with social media and companies like uh, Meta and Google, where they say that they welcome regulation and they would like to play a role in shaping that regulation. And and some people have pushed back on that notion slightly, uh, saying that these companies, they have their own motives and they're like largely profit-based motives for developing this technology. And it's not that they shouldn't have a role in how this regulation is shaped, but it needs to be kind of government-led. Sorry, I would just add that in China, I would say it's kind of similar in terms of like Chinese tech companies will want to kind of influence the government in terms of how they set the rules. However, the difference is that ultimately in China, the government is the one who makes the rules. And if the government just decides, even after consulting the companies, that maybe they want to ban generative AI chatbots, there isn't really an effective way for tech companies to appeal to that, to um, disagree with the government. 
And just going back to the way countries could deploy AI technologies internationally, I've seen this competition between China and the U.S. described as a kind of new arms race. And there have been all these calls for de-escalation or even some kind of treaty. And it seems like it would be hard for individual governments to regulate something that's so borderless. And so I wonder, Zui, what do you think of that? What is the likelihood of that? And what could it look like? Well, from my perspective, it's really hard to see, especially Western countries agree with China on how they should regulate AI. There are probably principles they will both agree on, but when it comes to like the big picture, really like there are definitely a lot of things that they would disagree on. So I really feel to see kind of like whether a universal global standard can be established. Um, but I do think maybe there will be like regional blocks. There will be like countries that are more aligned ideologically who can come together and say that, yeah, here's what we think are the major risks of AI and here's what we may address it together. I think that will be probably be a more likely future to see. Okay, so just to wrap up here, Rishi, I'm going to give you the last word. Ultimately, now that this race is on and things are moving so quickly, do you think it's even possible for governments to prevent some of the worst case scenarios that are being predicted here? Or is this somewhat of a runaway train that can't really be stopped at this point? I think we're we're still a ways away from kind of a, a true doomsday scenario. I think what what we're seeing is governments and regulators being more proactive uh, than we've seen in the past with other technology regulations and other types of technologies. The inflection point could come when AI is recognized as kind of a universal uh, issue or a universal threat. You think about comparing it to things like climate change, where Countries around the world have actually been a little better at cooperating, including including China. And there isn't yet the sense AI is still being treated as a race and a competition. And it's not clear whether that will change anytime soon. But if and when it does, that is kind of the moment where countries will potentially say that this is something that has the potential to impact all of humanity in a negative way, and we need to set some sort of baseline. That's the hope, but we'll we'll just have to see where it goes. Yeah. Okay. Th- thank you both so much. This was really, really fascinating. I appreciate it. Yeah, this is a great conversation. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for having us. That's all for this week. 
Thank you so much for listening. Our producer is Joyta Shangupta and our sound designer is Graham McDonald. Our senior producer is Elaine Chow. The executive producer of Nothing is Foreign is Nick McKay-Blokos. Nothing is Foreign is a co-production of CBC News and CBC Podcasts. Our theme music is by Joseph Shabison. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CBC Podcasts. I'm Tamara Kandacker. Thank you so much for listening and I will talk to you next week. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.